Welcome to Asset Yield, the podcast series of Kinsteller's Asset Solutions Sector, where we speak with principal investors, advisors, and funders in the world of non-performing and non-core assets of all classes, bringing you frontline market insights in real time. Good afternoon, Gifford. Thank you so much for joining us in our series of podcasts, Asset Yield, the podcast series of Kinsteller Asset Solutions. Delighted that you could join us from the States, which is very exciting. Where are you based today? Where are you sitting? I am calling you from the lovely suburbs of Boston. Excellent, excellent. Corona lockdown treating you well? I have never worked more on my yard, but only on weekends. (laughs) Good, good. I I know that um, most jurisdictions have opened the gardening and DIY centers first, and I suspect it was to get the men out of the house. Yes, I just took delivery of 240 feet of pressure-treated lumber yesterday. Excellent, excellent. So there is some silver lining in this cloud. Before we launch into our discussion, which is going to be very frothy and interesting, you could tell us a little bit about what Gifford West, Managing Director of Europe for DebtX, actually does. What does DebtX do? And give our audience a little bit of background about your history. DebtX is the first and largest platform for the secondary trading of loans. We were founded approximately 20 years ago in the United States. We opened up in Europe about 15 years ago. And we are a platform and an advisory firm and a valuation firm focused exclusively on loans, typically secured by real estate. So we really made our name in creating auctions for banks and government entities of NPLs and performing loans. We've done many sales for the FDIC, for NAMA, for the bad banks of Germany, best known probably for doing sales for banks in the United States and Europe. We do approximately 120 sales a year, and those sales will range in size in terms of proceeds from a few million dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars, and in terms of outstanding principal balance, billions of dollars down to tens of millions of dollars. And I guess we're unique is this is all we do. We value loans and we conduct auctions of loans. And that's all we've ever done. And I've been with the firms approximately since it started. I guess I'm coming up on my 19th anniversary in about two weeks. Congratulations. Congratulations. Is this the silver watch or, or I'm not sure what anniversary. I think it's the silver face mask given the current conditions. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Perfect. Perfect. Now, Gifford, you and I have known each other for what feels like half our lives. In your case, I'm sure that's true. (laughs) How kind. How kind. And I feel that I know your business model, but of course, I'm always interested to have new information. But perhaps you could speak a little bit about what the whole online auction platform paradigm is about. How does it work and how does it differ from what we would consider traditional auction methods? So traditionally, when a bank or a government agency wanted to conduct sales of non-core, non-performing loans, you would have a room full of boxes in a lawyer's office, an advisor with a whiteboard or a spreadsheet tracking who's been out in and who's been out of the documents. Those days are long gone, but the process for most of our competitors has remained in that sort of paradigm, which is you have a deal team, they prepare the material, they reach out to the buyers, they manage their 
conducting of their due diligence, they answered the questions, and then they worked to the close. The DEDx model is different in that we have dedicated teams for each function, and we've built a unified technology platform that supports all three. So underwriting uh, receives all of the due diligence material electronically. They prepare the due diligence material. They summarize it. We go out, we update the photos. We create as comprehensive a due diligence library as is possible so that when we go live, additional confidentiality agreement, but most don't, they then can go in and look at a high-level review and make a quick assessment as to whether this is something that they're interested in. If they're interested in, they can then do a deep dive. They can have a conversation with the trader who's dedicated to that deal saying, I've got questions. I'm thinking this kind of price range. Where are we? And the buyer is walked through the process by a dedicated team of traders. So traders for us talk to buyers. And because it's the same platform, the trader is permissioning them into information that's being prepared by underwriting. The trader can track who's doing what. The mistake many people believe with non-performing loans and performing loans is that if you post them, they'll sell themselves. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, exactly. It's not the field of dreams. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not Craigslist. I post my Elvis Presley figurine and the world beats a path to my doorstep. You know, loans are sold and you need a dedicated team of people doing outreach. And we have that. So the second component is this trading aspect, which is reaching out, guiding people through the due diligence material. And then the final component is the auction format. Now for governments, it's critical that the auction itself be unimpeachable. It has to be airtight, it has to be secure, it has to be transparent, and it has to be auditable. And you can't be receiving bids by fax and there's the possibility that somebody has a last look. It has to be a you know completely secure process so that when five years later, somebody says, I don't think that auction was fair, you can demonstrate it was fair. And because our platform ties the underwriting, the trading, and the auction all into the same database, we can do that. And we're unaware that anybody else can do that. So we're the go-to people for governments and like when they need to run an online auction of assets. So the network effect is what they talk about in terms of fax machines. One fax machine is worth nothing, but 10,000 fax machines suddenly has a great deal of value because people can communicate through it. We have the network effect because within the buy side for the loans that we typically trade, we're the known standard. People know us, they trust us, and we have that network effect that when somebody needs to sell a loan, they don't have to recreate the marketing process that we go through dozens and dozens of times a year. So we're constantly researching who the buyers are and getting them onto the platform so that we can conduct a sale and prove a market faster and in a secure manner uh, than anyone else. Is that a, a good summary? I think that's an excellent summary. And if I may, my takeaway from this, if I may summarize the summary, is that you provide 
three levels of service. The first one is the due diligence. And I beg to differ. And Gifford, this means that we are older than we even look. Although being entombed in our homes for the past month has done wonders for our skin. It's been years, years since anyone has looked at boxes. So <laughs> I have to confess that I remember doing this, but we're all on virtual data rooms now. But what you're talking about now, if I understand, is that DebtX provides the three essential components of any NPL transaction. And that is the due diligence, virtual data room due diligence embedded, Secondly, the marketing, which is your network of 10,000 plus contacts. And thirdly, the execution. Am I on or off this? You're spot on. And okay. I would say the critical thing is you're right in that very few, uh, nobody's using boxes of documents, but people are using a dedicated virtual data room, Intralink, something like that, which are all great products. They're great, you know, Dropbox, they're all great data rooms but they're transaction focused. You do one transaction, you shut it down and it's gone. And similarly, whoever's in charge of the market outreach is tracking it most likely on a spreadsheet where they're calling around and saying, oh, who's spoken to this fund most recently? Make sure you log it in the spreadsheet. And it's not tied back to the data room. So they have to log into a different system to see, okay, that fund said they were interested. Have they actually looked at the documents? And then it's a third system, if they have one, for doing an online auction. And so because the three aren't tied together, if somebody comes back five years later and says, you know, I wasn't shown that document. This part of the due diligence material wasn't in the data room when I reviewed it. You're going to have a mad scramble calling up Intralinks and saying, hey, we did a deal five years ago. And can you tell us whether so-and-so you know, actually looked at that document? We've got all that. You know, you raise a very good point, and you've alluded to it in um, several of your comments, which is the transparency and the paper trail, or no longer paper, but the audit trail of documentation that flows through the whole transaction. And this rather brings me to our favorite neighborhood where we were both working, which is uh, Central and Eastern Europe where in particular, the transparency, the auditable paper trail, and the security of information are very key. You're based in Boston, as you said, and JEDEX got their start in the U.S., as you mentioned. You worked with the FDIC, you worked with the um, sort of post-resolution trust issues and so on. But somehow, you have pitched up both as a company and as a person in Ukraine. How is it that you ended up there? So the Ukrainian story is an interesting one. So the U.S. Treasury has a team that works with governments to help them set up key infrastructure like deposit guarantee schemes. And uh, there is a very qualified U.S. Treasury team in Kiev who's been working with the government, to, uh, just advising them on creating a equivalent to the FDIC and that's called Deposit Guarantee Fund. And in November of 2015, I got a phone call from them saying, uh, listen, we've just shut down 90 banks and the, you know, the Deposit Guarantee Fund aspect of the model is working very well. The question we're being asked is, what do you do in the US when you shut down a bank and you have all their bad loans? And they said, 
typically the FDIC calls DEDEX, uh, who were under long-term contract with the FDIC. And I got a call saying, would you mind coming out and, and making a presentation to the uh, Ukrainian agencies about what is a loan sale? How do you do it? What is DEDEX? And I said, I flew out with a colleague in November 2015. We addressed a room of, I think it was 30 people with a simultaneous translator. I walked them through it and I thought, that's it. You know, I was, that was a, I've done my, my bit for helping people out. And a few months later, we got a phone call saying, listen, we've got some assets. We'd like to sell them. We have domestic systems, which are designed for selling a spare filing cabinet or a desk or procuring a truck, but we really don't have a system designed for selling $500 million worth of non-performing loans, regardless of what the value are. These would be Ukrainian non-performing loans. Correct. Ukrainian borrowers and Ukrainian lenders? Correct. With the deposit guarantee fund, these would, they liquidated a bank because it was no longer solvent and they paid out the depositors and they were trying to maximize the recovery from the assets of the bank. So okay. they they put the offices and the desks and everything else through the domestic equivalent of Craigslist or eBay, but what to do with the loans? This was effectively a kind of bad bank situation, trying to recover after it had made creditors whole on insolvent banks. And this followed a great period of upheaval around 2013 and 14 in Ukraine. Was that the, the right? Yeah, the, the, the maiden revolution or maiden right. event, whatever, it, the deposit guarantee fund was set up and it shut down I believe 90 banks, and I believe they had 10 billion U.S. of non-performing loans on their balance sheet related to those 90 banks. 10 billion notional value. So that's the face, the face value. And you came in as an advisor, or not you personally, but DEDX came in as an advisor, having done this kind of work in the United States. As and I said, Ireland uh, and Germany and Spain and Britain. Right. It's interesting because practicing in Central and Eastern Europe, Southeastern Europe, we all in the non-performing loan world looked at Ukraine as an amazing fertile ground for activity. We looked at X as a very interesting conduit because going back to your original comments, there is a way to consolidate all of the due diligence and put it in a format that's attractive to potential investors. And I'm gonna ask you about this a bit more, to market this to potential investors and to also execute the transaction in a way that is transparent, auditable, as you said, and secure. What has your experience been? And I, I suppose that's a bit of a provocative question, so you can, uh, you can temper it as you wish, but, what has your experience been in terms of the due diligence, the marketing, and the execution? Have you been able to create solid data rooms? Are you able to market to a broad range of investors? And are you able to execute? The deposit guarantee fund has, I've always been impressed by the quality of the management of the agency. It's got some very, very intelligent people, very professional and very patriotic because they could be doing better for themselves in the private sector, but they're trying to help push the Ukraine forward. And so the deposit guarantee fund couldn't have done a better job with the assets they have and the bank situations they have. They really are an extraordinary agency and the, and the National Bank of Ukraine, the NBU, is also similarly you know, very competent in trying to push forward. 
there are issues in Ukraine that everybody is aware of in terms of the legal system and the reforms that are going on in that legal system. And those have been moving forward. They've been progressing. You know, some would like it to move forward more quickly, but judicial reform is moving forward. So to break it into pieces, could we access the due diligence material that we required to set up a, a good data room? Yes. The liquidated banks had all the material often in paper format, but we were able to get drop a team in, scan up the documents, organize them, and create a comprehensive data room. Were the assets supporting these loans of value? In some cases, yes. We're currently doing a sale of a Sunflower Seed Logistics Center in Odessa, and that asset is a world-class facility and should be attractive to a lot of investors. The reason these banks were shut down was they were mismanaged, and, and in some cases, the collateral was wildly overstated in terms of value. Not a mistake that DGF or the NBU made, but the reason why the bank was shut down. So some of these assets may have very little active value. In terms of generating interest, there is a growing domestic buy side, some of whom have partnered with international investors. So there is a critical mass of domestic buyers who are looking at these transactions and utilize the DebtX platform to do their due diligence and to bid. Internationally, we have been marketing Ukraine now for, I want to say, four years through a participation in all of the major NPL events in Europe, as well as uh, thought pieces and social media and face-to-face -face meetings with both the large and mid-sized funds. It's been an uphill battle, but in 2019, we succeeded in getting one major international investor to open up and start buying assets in a wholesale manner. And we've got a, a significant number of funds that at least have done their due diligence and have possibly put in bids on various assets. This is a slow process. People should be excited about Ukraine because it is the largest pot of NPLs in Eastern Europe, and it should be one of the largest economies in Eastern Europe. Well, this is true. And going back to my earlier comment, when Ukraine opened up as a potential market, we were all quite excited about it. And of course, no one could ever accuse JetX or you personally, Gifford, of being a coward uh, to jump right into the fray because that is a very bold, bold move. One of the benefits of an electronic platform, as you yourself mentioned, is that you do get the exposure of various global investors who would normally not get on a plane and go to Ukraine. But if it's easy to look at the due diligence, as you mentioned, on a preliminary level from the comfort now of our own kitchens, this is a huge benefit. It gives you great exposure. And I keep going back to the transparency issue because you and I have both experienced the, the concept of, especially when you have a government organization, of the sellers being second-guessed about, you know, the value that they received from the sale. I mean, having that data tape and being able to point to all of the bids, because effectively one could say that DebtX is a bit of like an eBay platform. Is that for illiquid assets? Is that Sort of yeah, I, I mean, I think it, we shy away from that comparison. The key difference between eBay, eBay is, you know, build it and they will come. We market assets. And so from the perspective of any Eastern European country, their problem is 
they've got a couple of choice NPL assets on a bank's balance sheet, the biggest hotel in the city. And it should be of interest to somebody because it might be worth $20 million. But how do you get people on plane, especially in this market, get people excited about it if you put it on a local system, which is only in the local language. And so the barriers to the guy who likes to buy NPL hotels start stacking up. I got to find somebody who can speak the local language uh, just to take a look, just to log into the system. There may be a summary in English, but there may not be. So the beauty of DEDx is you take an asset anywhere in the world, you put it on the system, you know that the large and mid-sized funds are going to be aware of it. And if they look at the executive summary, which if it's a English-speaking, we'll always do everything in English. If it's a German bank, we'll typically also have it in German. And they can say, okay, yeah, this is a 300-room hotel. I understand that. I should get on the horn to Denise and say, hey, do you have anybody in such and such a city that can take a look at this for me? Mm-hmm. And that And that brings in more liquidity, which means that the local players can't collude and say, oh, listen, there's only three of us in town who can write this kind of check. Why would we want to run a competitive process when we can just agree up front who's going to take it down? Which goes back to your excellent point about the transparency and the audit trail. I mean, this is a big concern to many Western investors, as we know, in looking at at certain of these jurisdictions. It has been an issue in the past, perhaps less so now, but still, DEDx and, and such platform facilitates access. Just jumping ahead, you and DEDx have, have gone into the deep side of the pool very quickly. For sure, there are very few jurisdictions that are as challenging as Ukraine. Do you see this as a template for sales in other jurisdictions throughout Central and Eastern and Southeastern Europe? Maybe even some EU jurisdictions such as Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania, Slovenia, where you even have a very familiar legal framework. Yes, there's hard work that has to be done on the ground by the sellers and the local regulators, by people such as yourself, because we don't advise governments on what they need to do so they can sell a non-performing loan. And if it's not part of the banking regulation and it's not part of the loan docs, there's some heavy lifting that needs to be done that in some cases can't be overcome. If the loan documents say the loan can't be assigned without the permission of the borrower, you're stuck. And so there's a lot of prep work that needs to be done regarding transferability of assets, capital controls, how you execute the transaction. Those are all the domain of the local legal counsel. Every country is different. It took us two years back in 2008, I think it was, to get to a point where German banks were comfortable selling what they referred to as terminated credits because the German bank secrecy, the KVG, is such an onerous uh, piece of legislation from a bank perspective that they didn't want to run the risk that they were violating KVG. My point is that it's a model that works and trying to do it in each one of these countries, especially when you're dealing in smaller economies with smaller NPL problems, you will fail to bring in international investors. But there's a lot of hard work that has to be done locally to prepare the ground. And we've seen it in Greece. Greece has been going doing this for the past five years in terms of setting up servicers and changing the legislation so that 
banks can sell loans below book value. And you mentioned governments, but this is a model that is completely transferable to the originators, the original originators selling their loans as well, banks, no? Portfolios of loans can be sold privately on this, on your platform. Correct, correct. Most of the sales we do are done by banks, but those banks are typically locally regulated and they need legal guidance as to how to interpret the local laws to make sure that they you know, have the rights to sell a loan. Obviously, there are legal issues around the due diligence, which you raised about the German banks, the bank secrecy and data protection. And then there may be some issues around the marketing, although I suspect those are more commercial issues rather than legal issues. But then we come full circle back to legal issues around execution, which you alluded to about, you know, the transferability of assets. On one side, you have the lender-borrower relationship that's a contractual relationship and what are the issues embedded in that relationship, not only on the four corners of the paper, but also at law. And then on the other side, and I would love to hear your view on this, you have the legal process that comprises the transfer of an asset, probably more so where there's real estate involved. But in many jurisdictions, you have the intermediation of third parties, whether it's notaries or bailiffs or registrars or the courts themselves that are all involved, particularly in non-performing assets. Have you encountered this with your platform or is this something that you've managed to circumvent or address? Curious to hear what your view is on this. The question is, in terms of legal transfer of the loan or legal transfer of the underlying collateral? Well, that's it. That's exactly it, both. The loan, which you mentioned, you know, the borrower-lender relationship, but then in many cases, these are collateralized loans. How do you address this on the DebtX platform? So we're flexible. In some cases, we'll engage local counsel to create what we refer to as sort of the roadmap to enforcement. So somebody who's never enforced a loan in Ukraine is going to be looking for the dummy's guide to how hard is this and how long is it going to take? That's what every NPL investor is asking themselves. What is the range of years it's going to take and what is the probability of success? So Germany, it's a fairly tight amount of time it's going to take, has a very small volatility. So you know it's going to take so many years regardless, and you know you're going to be able to enforce other countries. Southern Italy, very long. You may not be successful. Ireland, very short. You're almost guaranteed of being successful. You're factoring that into your net present value as you factor, as you try and figure out what the asset's worth. So we may prepare something which is a roadmap for borrowers, which is just a guide. We're not repping it. We're just saying this is in the data room if you find it useful. Anybody who's serious is then going to engage local counsel to do the same analysis again, make sure that they agree with the assessment. But that's excellent because what you're saying is that your marketing of these portfolios, whether their portfolios or single names is so complete and thorough that not only are you giving uh, prospective bidders information about the asset itself, but you're also giving them context, legal context. That's great because that really attracts international investors. Our core value added is transparency and audibility. But if we're not also bringing in new money, we become less valuable. As it were. Yeah. And so this is, this is critical. But Beyond giving people a roadmap, 
and saying there's 10 steps to enforcement and this loan is in step three. We're not advising the seller, either the bank or the government, as to how they should, whether they should enforce or, and we're not, again, we may have some sort of aspect as to transfer of title, just to explain that to people. But it's at a high level because no one who is going to, is seriously thinking about putting tens of millions of dollars into a different country is going to do so without having their own legal counsel uh, put their stamp on it. It's at least a teaser to Correct. use a very traditional M&A terms of what a potential bidder can expect in the jurisdiction. This is on the enforcement side. And if I can make two comments, again, going back to transparency and auditability, uh, it's very helpful because I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this entire data tape or VDR, embedded VDR, actually can then be transferred to the winning bidder, to the buyer, and can be used in its actual asset management. Correct. And on the other side, what's an interesting point is, as you said, many jurisdictions do not have very mature legal regimes, are not thinking about electronic auction platforms. So there's still this intercession of third parties, uh, which is embedded in the local legal regime. Uh, It's necessary to take a contract to a notary. And in fact, to be honest, this is not a a central European issue only. I remember doing MA deals in Germany on NPL deals in Germany where we had to read the entire contract or the notary had to read the entire contract before it could be signed. Out loud. Out loud. That was uh, many, many hours of dramatic reading or maybe for us it was traumatic. How does that local legal regime correlate with the DEDx platform? Where does that come into play? Think of it as a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have the US NPL market where the asset sale agreement or the sale and purchase agreement has become so standardized that it's in the data room and all buyers submit with their bids an executed copy of the signature page. So the seller, when we go back to them and say, here are three binding contracts on this asset, our recommendation is take this one. As soon as they countersign it, the buyer has to put forward a 10% good faith non-refundable deposit within 24 hours and close within five days. That's how it works in the United States for 99% of the transactions where we're selling a shopping mall owner or the like. In Germany, which is the sort of second bucket, initially, and we're going back now 10, 12 years, every SPA was its own beautiful masterpiece, started from whole cloth and built by lawyers over many, many hours on speakerphones. You may laugh, Gifford, but that put my daughter through school. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and I put many lawyers through school. And we're not particularly popular with the German lawyers because on our third transaction, we said, you know, this SPA looks pretty darn good to us. There are only three issues that everybody seems to spend all their time arguing about. Let's just freeze the rest of it. And we'll highlight these three points. Who's going to take the VAT risk? How many months is the interim servicing going to go? And I can't remember what the third point was. And we'll highlight those three and we'll make everybody's going to put their bids in with those in. There must have been a huge number of very sad tax lawyers out there because VAT can keep people going for years. <laughs> right. So And so suddenly the negotiation of the SPA went from roomfuls of lawyers and hours and hours to a single conference call. 
So that's the second market where you identify the two or three things that you know you can't standardize. And then you get into the newer markets where you're still feeling your way along. In Ukraine, the closing process is the easiest part of it, especially when you're dealing with sales by the depository guarantee fund because they, they've standardized it. That's a non-issue in Ukraine. Interestingly enough, just to go back to one of our earlier comments where we were talking about process. So in Ukraine, which is kind of a test case, the documentation process has been standardized. And how about the actual auction process? Is that also just a regular English auction or how do you do that? Uh, so the Ukrainian government came up with their own auction model working with, a, I guess, a world-famous mathematician, a game theorist. So they use a three-phase auction. I'll give you the quick summary, and people you know, have to better have a pencil ready. The first phase is a Dutch auction, where you start at a percentage of face, for argument's sake, let's say 20%, and you go down every three minutes in 1% increments until you get to 4%. So it's a Dutch auction. Every three minutes, boom, 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 it starts going down. People who have registered and paid the uh, deposit can watch this, as can anybody who has access to YouTube. We broadcast them live. So you had me at YouTube. The auction takes place on YouTube? No. The auction takes place on the DEDx platform. But in the spirit of transparency, anyone who wants to watch the auction can do so via YouTube. You mean I could just dial into an auction? Correct. Awesome. It's the, like watching paint dry, though. No, this could be my new afternoon entertainment as I continue my lockdown. That is fantastic. So the point is that these auctions can actually be bespoke. So Ukraine has come up with a three-phase concept, but conceivably a jurisdiction like Slovenia, for instance, which is fairly mature market, has done a lot of auctions. They could do a very simple one-stage auction if they so wished. Right. The vast majority of auctions we do are just sealed bids. Because on a non-performing loan, we found that's the way you maximize proceeds for the seller. Remember, DEDx is always on the side of the seller. We only work for the sell side of an engagement. We're never engaged by both sides, which some of our competitors have been known to do. And we're never engaged by the buy side. We're, we're a pure sell side advisor. In the U.S., for instance, you get your bids and then you go back, because the documentation is standardized, as you noted, you go back to the seller and you said that you're working on the seller side and say, we recommend this bid. What's your criteria and how does that work exactly? So our criteria is maximizing proceeds with minimizing risk. The highest bid on a clean contract is typically the one we'll recommend. If we have carve-outs or some form of non-conforming bid, we may go in and say, all right, your proceeds will be higher, but you're gonna be left with this loan. Is that something you want? And we also have the situation where hypothetically you have five assets and you have 10 bidders and all 10 bidders put in bids on different combinations of those assets. That's something we call combinatorial bidding. And so we have a very sophisticated piece of software that says this combination of bids will maximize proceeds. And if the seller says that's great, but that buyer is somebody I don't want to do business with, 
then we can eliminate that buyer and run it again and say, okay, this is the next best combination. The decision to make the sale is always with the seller, who they sell to or if they sell. We have no ability to require them to do anything. When you say that the seller says, I don't want to do business with this bidder, can the seller screen up front and have kind of a, a black and white list? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, we, and we've operated in that model before. Typically, when they say, I don't want to deal with a, that particular buyer, it's because of some stipulation in the contract, not because we've introduced somebody that they're concerned about from an ethical point of view. Everybody's pretty well scrubbed if they're on the DebtX platform. Gifford, you know, it's amazing. As long as I've known you, and as long as I very pompously thought that I understood the DebtX model, I'm learning today that there is much nuance here that I did not understand. And what I'd like to not only tease out, but highlight really, is your advisory role. Because I think that there's a maybe a misconception in the market that, well, I, I made that mistake myself. I uh, referred to DebtX as an eBay for illiquid assets. But in fact, DebtX are acting in the form of a traditional advisor simply with an automated vehicle, you know, <laughs> because you're actually uh, advising the seller in terms of, you know, which bids are better, your marketing, you're doing the front end due diligence. It's everything that you would expect from dare I say, one of the big four or one of the investment banks who, who do this sort of work. Is that accurate or have I got the wrong end of the stick? No, you're completely right. We are a technology-enabled advisor. So we do 120 sales a year and we could not do that kind of flow and capture the network effect without the technology. But people hire us for the advisory part of it and the knowledge that our liquidity is so extreme. As I said very early on, NPLs are sold, they're not bought. There has to be somebody out there pushing it. There has to be out there somebody structuring it. And most sellers, this isn't a transaction that they do all the time. And the idea that I'm a bright guy, I'm gonna figure out this process is naive. For very large institutions that have billions of assets to sell, you can set up a department that does a, a, a excellent job of selling loans. But for most institutions where it's, it's something they've got to do for a year, does it really make economic sense to hire 20 guys to build a department that you're going to shut down in a year? Especially when you've got the power of DedEx out there and you can rent us versus, versus buying a, a new department. This is excellent. So if I can sum it up, your advisors with technological enhancement rather than a bunch of tech guys. Yeah. And just to kind of bring it out of Ukraine into a broader spectrum, especially for our neighborhood, the benefit for us as I see, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that in Central and Eastern Europe, Southeastern Europe, um, there's a misconception that it's one market. In, in fact, as you and I both know, it's absolutely not one market. It's a compilation of multiple, multiple markets with multiple legal regimes and multiple economic ecosystems. But one thing that is consistent is that, you know, as opposed to, for instance, Greece or Italy or Spain, the markets are relatively speaking, I wouldn't say as an objective, but relatively speaking, they're shallower. And because 
because there are so many of them, I mean, it's like, it, it's as if each state in the United States had its own legal regime and its own market. They're very resource intensive when you do sales there. So from what I hear you're saying, Debt X can actually take a lot of the burden off of those resources. Is that accurate? Yes. For governments and banks in Eastern Europe, what they have to realize is obviously the COVID situation is traumatic for all economies. If we'd been having this conversation six months ago, I would have said, right now, there is a dearth of distressed assets in Europe other than Italy and Spain. And the buy side is hungry and they'll look at anything. So, you know, you had major investment banks buying portfolios in relatively small economies. Post-COVID, these funds have a lot of money to spend, but they're going to be looking for the best, the easiest opportunities to get into. And those opportunities that make it difficult to even take a look at them will go to the bottom of the pile and be forgotten. Basically, and the funds are going to be looking at the lowest hanging grapes, and you provide that, that benefit. Right. And so we can't solve the local legal issues. We can't opine on what you have to do to enforce in Serbia or, or the like. But what we can do is say, here's a non-performing loan secured by a major asset in Serbia. Our local guys say you could have possession of it in two years, and they'll say, oh, okay, I can slot that into my pipeline of deals I want to look at. Whereas if they get an email from the local office of an international accounting firm saying, hey, we've got something here, but we decided to reinvent the process, and we can't really give you any guidance, why don't you send a couple people out here? They're going to say, okay, that has a clear space in the circular file beside my desk. That's what we bring to these markets. But forgetting DEDX, sellers in these smaller economies have to recognize is if they want to attract international money and they believe that's important to bring new capital into the economy and raise prices, they've got to put it in a format so that people can easily make that first pass. So you provide the ease of process that more traditional methods of asset transfer do not provide. But I hear you saying also there are still some local legal requirements that need to be addressed. And I expect from conversations within our market that a lot of the uh, trends, including the electronic platform trend that started even before COVID, may in fact be accelerated post-COVID because a for instance, some of these intermediaries, the courts, the bailiffs, the notaries, the registrars, they will be very backlogged when we all crawl out of our cellars, uh, as we're starting to do. And in order to keep the market moving and liquidity in the market, there will be a huge push to look for processes or platforms or vehicles that facilitate the transfer. Any thoughts on that? Definitely. And I think the trend was already in that direction. And you probably can speak to it with greater authority than I can. But if you look at Greece with the sort of traditional courthouse step auction, which was subject to heavy manipulation uh, during the foreclosure process, I believe the Greeks put in an online system to try and A, make it less subject to manipulation, but also just easier. So that was happening pre-COVID. I think a lot of processes will be moved online just so that we can avoid 
the unnecessary airplane flights and the unnecessary meetings. I think that working for, from home and uh, dare I say this whole situation that we're in may be a huge boost to the entire online business. I mean, it's, it's obviously happening even as we speak. You and I are on our headphones talking to each other 3,000 miles apart. I have one last question, and I would love to hear your insights because you straddle so many different markets and you have a very good holistic view of our NPL market in general. Clearly, there's going to be a fallout. There's going to be a lot of market disruption. Where do you see the investors coming from? Where is the liquidity and money to actually buy these portfolios? Good question. The bigger funds have been raising funds for years now. So Blackstone's sitting on, I believe it's $152 billion of funds. So the big funds have accumulated a great deal of money to look at new opportunities, are going to be hamstrung by their previous funds, which are sitting on huge inventories in some countries. So the big funds will be looking to get into the market there are a lot of mid-sized funds. I think a lot of the family office money, which has been sitting on the sidelines, their real estate-focused family offices will be coming in. Six months ago, there was more dry powder than there were opportunities. Sadly, I think there's a case to be made that there's going to be more opportunities than there is dry powder. And so going back to the earlier, my earlier statement, I think that there's going to be a crowding out effect of people going, as you said, the low-hanging fruit. It's the traditional buyers. There still is a lot of money in the traditional private equity sector. And there's a lot of investors. And again, one of the advantages of DEDEX, since we straddle the Atlantic, this is a long established business in the United States. And there's a lot of buyers in the US who have deep expertise in specific types of collateral. And we'll look at opportunities anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think in, in to sum up, the first sellers, you know, because of, of the market as it's going to be post-COVID, the first sellers to adapt will be the ones to get their assets sold. It's going to be a sort of Darwinian situation. Yeah, the way I would put it is our market, the distressed asset market, has never shut down in COVID. No one effectively has been in DEDX's office since March 10th, and yet We've conducted 13 successful auctions. We've sold hotels on the oil patch. We've signed up new mandates. We've underwritten a new transaction in Ukraine. And the buyers, a few buyers stepped away from the plate, but the vast majority are still there. They just widened their spreads. There is still liquidity, especially in the U.S. What we're seeing in Europe and the U.S., is a German banker used the expression yesterday to me of a parallel universe. One universe that was healthy and the other universe you have loans and watch list at the end of the fourth quarter of 2019. And workout groups are looking at those loans that were already on watch list last year and they're saying these we need to resolve in the next three to six months because there's a tidal wave coming in after that. And so Resolution might be enforcement, resolution might be selling a loan, resolution might be negotiating with a borrower, but they want to clear those loans out of the way in the next six months because they recognize there is going to be a world of work to be done uh, as we get to the end of 2020. Gifford West, Managing Director of Europe for the Debt Exchange 
uh, familiarly known among us friends and family as DeadX. I hope to be on the raft with you on the platform, keeping ahead of the tsunami. Thank you so much for your wonderful insights this afternoon and your contribution to our market. Denise, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. It is always a pleasure to speak to you, especially given the depth of your understanding of the legal situation across Europe.